We've got a two-part series entitled Farewell. We've got two in-person services. And, and that's it. Two-part online series over these next two weeks. Farewell. I'll be sharing these two messages. Then we'll be having an in-person service on Palm Sunday, which Pastor Christopher, we're going to be gathered outdoors with Pastor Christopher's Church Life Academy. First time our two churches are coming together as one church to praise the Lord and be together. Pastor Christopher is going to preach a message and send Rebecca and I off as missionaries to the city of Las Vegas. Uh, I got the thumbs up that I could uh, share publicly, at least in this venue uh, of, of the church that I will be joining as their lead pastor of teaching and prayer and even supporting some of their care ministries. And so it's Hope Church in Las Vegas is, is where I'll be heading to. Um, I start there May 10th. And so I have four Sundays left with you. And the only tension question I could think of uh, really to, to line up the, the rest of my time here in this series in particular is this. How can I, how do you best say farewell to the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have been privileged to love and to lead for the last seven years? How do you say goodbye in a way that honors God, in a way that blesses the people. And just a couple burdens. The first is this, um, when it comes to goodbyes. Goodbyes done poorly are and can be unnecessarily painful. Maybe some of you have maybe experienced a, a pastor leaving a church before and it wasn't done well, and so there, there's some pain. There's, there's some trauma from having trusted a spiritual leader and that not going well. Maybe you had a, a parent that walked out on you. Maybe you had a teacher. Maybe you had a friend. Maybe there's a close friendship. There's been goodbyes that you've had in your life, and those are hard regardless, even when they're done well, but goodbyes done poorly add to the pain, are unnecessarily painful. And the last thing I want to do is the pastor of this church is leave in such a way that, that folks are, are hurt unnecessarily because it's not done well or because I do not finish well or because I do not steward well the words that I can say as I leave. That's a deep burden. The second burden kind of already said it, but I have an opportunity to teach God's word literally three more times figure I've, I've preached maybe an average of 40 times a year over the last seven years. It's 250 something messages, 280 messages, anywhere probably between 275 times, 300 times I've preached at the movement and I've got three left. And so with those last three, I want to be faithful to serve you. I'll be faithful to serve you, and I want to be faithful to glorify God. The good news is I, I don't have to get up on a soapbox and just share random thoughts. You don't need that. I don't need that. What you and I both need is the living word of God, the bread of life. And I'm so thankful that the living word of God has examples for us, of farewells. There are examples of pastors who love their church dearly, who at one point had to leave the church that they love dearly. And we have modeled for us one way, not the only way, but one way that a pastor can say farewell to the church. And so today we are going to be in Acts 20, Verses 16 through 38, a big portion of text. But you know, I, I wouldn't feel very good about coming up here and just, okay, what do I want to just say to the people? What do I want to say to the people? I'm so thankful for the word of God that constrains my words. 
There is a constraining. There is a, there is a Bible teaching that I have been commissioned to do every single Sunday. It's not to entertain you. It's not to make you laugh. It's not to keep you interested. It is to preach and teach the word of God in a way that helps you see Jesus is beautiful. And I'm so thankful that even in saying farewell, I get to do this primarily from the word of God. Little bit of context. Uh, the book of Acts is part two to the book of Luke. Luke was a physician who wrote an account of Jesus's life. And when Jesus died, rose again and ascended into heaven, the early church began. And we call this book, Luke, he, he wrote down all the events of that early church. And we call this book Acts, the activities of the apostles. And towards the end of the book of Acts, we have a man by the name of Paul, formerly known as Saul. He was literally a murderer of Christians. God saved him. He transformed his life. Saul, who would become Paul, was responsible for the explosion of Christianity in churches all around the Mediterranean rim. And one of those churches uh, would be in the city of Ephesus, the area of modern-day Turkey. And he planted that church, started that church, and what we have today, what I'm about to read, is Paul's final words to this church that he planted in the city of Ephesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text in its entirety. The words are going to be on the screen. You might want to follow along in your Bibles if you have it. Read the text in its entirety. Give you a title for my message. Give you an outline and we'll be on our way. But let's open up our eyes, open our hearts to the words of God and see what, what did Paul say to the church that he loved at Ephesus, and, and what could we glean from Paul's farewell message? Let's jump into the text. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. This is a real time, real place. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. This would be the anniversary of when the Spirit of the Lord def, uh, descended on the disciples in the upper room just 40 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, to the pastors, to the leadership of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. He was going to sail past it, but he stopped, sent this letter. When they arrived, he declared, here was his farewell address. You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I have never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. He goes on to say, and now I'm bound by the spirit to go to Vegas. I, I mean, Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from you declaring all that God wants you to know. So, guard yourselves in God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave. 
not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I never have never coveted Anyone silver or gold or fine clothes, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad, most of all, because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Wow. What what a picture. What a picture of a pastor who loves his church and the church who loved their pastor and some final encouraging words. And I do want to say before I even give you the title of my message, just to point out here that it says they were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Can I just say, it is my plan to see you again at the very least through FaceTime. Come on, somebody. They didn't have FaceTime back then. Like once he sailed off, it was like, it's done. That does not have to be the case with us. Yes, there will be some tears, but at least we hopefully will see each other again. Whoever ends up leading this church the future, you just got to let them know every now and then, can you invite Pastor Edward to come speak? Come on, somebody. Just every now and then, once a year, whatever, I just invite me back. Come on, somebody. And maybe the 10-year anniversary, I don't know. Just invite me back. I'd love to be with you again. But at least that's not the reality for us. Today, I want to speak from the title, Gospel Goodbyes. Gospel Goodbyes. And here's my outline. Here's going to be the handles that will just help us move. Guys, I'm only giving you, I only got three more outlines for you. I only got three more outlines. You know how over the years I've worked hard to put these outlines together to sound good, to feel good, to help you move through the message in a way. And so Paul's convictions, Paul's cautions, and a proper conclusion. I'm going to give you three. There's many more convictions, but I'm just going to give you three of Paul's convictions. They're convictions that I believe I've had. They're convictions that we've had, and they're going to be convictions that I want to encourage you to continue to have. And then you may be picked up on some cautions, and we need to heed Paul's cautions to the church at Ephesus. And then last but not least, the way This church concludes their time together is definitely the way I'd like to conclude our time together. And so we will hit that at the end of the message. And so if you're ready, come on. Remember those days, Mills College, if you were there at Mills College, I think I saw in the chat, Mike and Sokun sit. Come on, somebody. Everyone give a a huge hello to Mike and Sokun. Mike and Sokun came to our very first service, Mills College, September of 2013. And I think they're with us today tuning in, whether it was Mills College, whether it was Elmhurst Middle School. If you're ready, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. We've got our tech folks saying they're ready. I hope you're ready. Oh, I miss you. I miss you, church family. I wish we could be together, but let's go ahead and get into God's word. What was the first of three of Paul's convictions? Let's take a look at it. He said, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I never shrank back. 
And I'm so thankful for this conviction of Paul because I think I can stand before you today after ministering for here for over seven years and say, I never shrank back. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear publicly from the stage and with many of you in your homes over the phone. We have had what has been come to know around here, tough conversations. Come on, somebody. Maybe if you've ever had a tough conversation with me, you might just put in the chat. Yep, I've had one of those. I've had one of those. Let's see what the amplified version says in verse 20. You know how I did not shrink back in fear from telling you anything that was for your benefit or from teaching you in public meetings and from house to house. I didn't shrink back in fear. I don't want you to shrink back in fear. Maybe by way of testimony, by way of testimony, a few of you would just enter into the chat. Maybe one line of, of something that I said to you for your benefit and for your good that was challenging to you. And don't tell the whole story. You don't need to tell the whole story. But Ed said the hard thing about Ed said the tough thing to me about, and this isn't just for whatever. I, I want to be encouraged by the things you say, but what do you need to be reminded of? That talk we had, that tough conversation we had, and, and I, man, I'm thankful that this was Paul's conviction, and I could look at this text, and I could say, I did this too. What's the point? In a sentence, say what needs to be said. And I hope that continues to remain a, a value of the movement, selfless transparency, where we're more about truth-telling than we are image-protecting. And it's not just say what needs to be said when it's a hard word of like um, something sinful or, or something, you know, sanctification and here how you can become more like Christ. Saying what needs to be said is also giving honor where honor is due. Saying what needs to be said is saying, man, you are doing a great job and I see God moving in you. And so if there was a, a particular thing like Paul, I didn't shrink back, but I said what would benefit from you. If there's something in particular, put that in the chat for your own reminder to encourage me and maybe to encourage the rest of the church body with some particular way that I've encouraged you over the years. Say what needs to be said. It's a conviction I had, but it's a conviction I want you to have. And so I want this, you to answer this question to consider who, to whom do you need to have the courage to say something beneficial to? Maybe it's a hard word. Maybe it's an encouraging word. Maybe the Lord has put a conviction on your heart. I see this brother or sister in Christ and I need to encourage them in their marriage. I need to encourage them in their singleness. I need to encourage them with their parenting. Who do you need to not shrink back in fear and say something beneficial to? Um, selfishly, hey, I've only got a couple messages left. I think I'm going to be able to do this just whatever. Selfishly, if you have something beneficial to say to me, please say it. Please say it. You know, on a couple of occasions, uh, there's been people who would encourage me, and they'll say something like, yeah, I meant to say this, or I wanted to say this, but I figured people tell you that all the time. And can you imagine if all of you just thought people tell him that all the time, so that's why they don't say anything? And so I just want to encourage you in these last days to encourage me. If there's something, if there's a way in which I've said something beneficial to you, meant something to you, I'd love to hear it while I'm alive. Come on, somebody. While I'm alive. And to those people, maybe you've got some, some bitterness towards me. Maybe you've got some anger towards me. Hey, Say it. Give me an opportunity to apologize or tell you you're wrong. <laughs> just kidding. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But I'm just saying just because you got a beef with me doesn't necessarily mean I did the wrong thing. But anyways, but no, I mean, let's talk about it. You don't want to. 
I don't want to end this season with you, and I don't think you want to end this season with me with bitterness in your heart. That's not good. And you might say, ah, he's going to leave and blah, 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 blah. And I, I, but how many, how many people have you not finished well relationally with, and now that's adding up? You've got 20 people who you've pushed it under the rug, offense, hurt, bitterness. Don't, I don't want to be another one of those people. I want to have an open invitation to say, hey, whatever needs to be said. And, and I know I made a joke about being wrong. No, I, I'll humble myself. There's really a way I sinned against you. I want to repent. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to apologize. And so... Say what needs to be said. I never shrank back from telling you what would be beneficial to you. Uh, let's look at the second conviction. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. This is crazy. This is just like a side point. He doesn't know what awaits him. All he does know is that there's jail and suffering ahead. I don't know what's going to happen next. All I know, there's going to be affliction and pain, some uh, versions say. And so that's really encouraging. <laughs> the Holy Spirit constrains me. The Holy Spirit is calling me on to a next assignment. And all I know is there's going to be difficulty. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let's just park here for a moment. Paul's highest value, his highest self-worth was, was not in himself it was not in his accolades of all the churches he had planted. It wasn't in his salvation story, his value. He said, I counted myself worth nothing to me unless the only value is to finish the assignment God had for me. What was that assignment? To tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And I'm just so thankful for seven years seven plus years, whether it was on a stage or on camera, prayerfully we could all agree that this, that this platform, and not just from my preaching, but all the other preachers as well of the Movement Church, has been leveraged to tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And maybe just take a moment to think about over the years a time you were sitting at Mills College, a time you were sitting at Elmhurst and it was freezing cold. Come on, somebody. But even in the freezing cold of Elmhurst, grace was ministered to you. Good news was ministered to you. Even though there was sin, even though you hadn't been living as holy as you ought to live, even though you have a past, under the teaching of God's word and the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ, you experience grace. And if you experience the grace of Jesus Christ through the preaching of God's word at the Movement Church, would you just put that in the comments? I've experienced grace here. I have come to a deeper understanding not only of the holiness of God, the greatness of God, but how that great holy God through Jesus has grace for my life. That I could never out God's grace for me. That God's grace always goes 10 yards further than my furthest sin can go. And when I sin even more, His grace outpaces my sin. How many of you are thankful that the grace of God outpaces the sin that we have towards God and towards others? It always goes further. And I don't know what you did this week. I don't know how disrespectful you've been to your wife. I don't know how non-sacrificial you've been to your kids. I don't know how difficult you've been on your job. I don't know how you're cheating. I don't know how you're looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at. I don't know about the addiction that you've picked up again. You know what? And frankly, not that I don't care, but under the blood of Jesus Christ, it is covered. It is paid for. You can stand boldly before the throne of God. 
as you confess your sin to him, he's faithful to forgive. Grace. Grace. This was a conviction of Paul. It was worth nothing. The ministry was worth nothing. I was worth nothing less the task to finish the work of preaching the good news of God's grace. What was Paul's second conviction? In summary, he valued sharing God's grace. You value your kids. You value your car. You value your possessions. You value your job. You value your self-image. I would just wonder, how many of you actually find value? Like it's valuable to you that you have the opportunity to share the grace of God with others. Do you see yourself as wealthy because you have the message of salvation in your back pocket and at any given time you could share the good news of Jesus being the substitute for sin, being our reconciliation towards God, our mediator. It's a way that we can be made right with God. Do you see that as valuable? Paul said, I counted myself as worth nothing lest I, but the thing that was valuable was finishing the task of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the question to consider. To whom do you need to have the conviction to share the good news of God's grace? You have grace in your pocket. It's valuable. Who do you need to share that with? Who do you need to just minister God's grace to? Who you need to minister God's news to? Who do you know who's down and out? Maybe not living uh, how they should be living. Maybe they're not producing the fruit of the Spirit in their life like they should be, Christian or not. And maybe you could be the vessel by which God would deliver grace to them. Paul had a conviction that Value came from sharing good news. And I hope that for all time, the movement is a place that we not only say the hard things to one another, say the encouraging things, say what needs to be said, but we preach what needs to be preached, the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the final conviction he had here. Been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the point. Be generous. Be generous. And church family, I've already mentioned it. You have done it. In seven plus years, we've given tens of thousands of dollars back into the needs of this church family. People who've struggled financially, people who've been short on rent, people who've just needed help. You've been generous, and we've experienced how it is more blessed to help those in need than to be the one helped in need. And it's okay if you're the one who needs to be helped, that's fine. But we all know, man, it is blessed when we give. We have given tens of thousands of dollars to Elmhurst. There is a school that we have blessed lavishly with financial resources, with time. And you've done that. We've experienced this conviction in our church. How many of you are thankful in the comments? How many of you are thankful that we are a generous church? We gave tens of thousands of dollars to Pastor Christopher in Life Church so that they could plant another community of faith. And now that church is being generous to uh, Life Academy, another school, public school here in Oakland. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I hope for however long you've been here, you've experienced the movement as a place that gives. Not only that you receive from the giving we give, but then you get to be a part of giving to others through our church. And I hope that becomes something we do for many years to come. Say what needs to be said. Value sharing God's grace. Be generous. Maybe in the comments you would say, which is the one of these three things that at this point in your life, man, that just kind of resonates with me. 
God's speaking to me about being generous. God's speaking to me about valuing, sharing God's grace. Where would you just say, this is the one I need to apply to my life? Got to hurry along here as we wrap up. Number two, Paul's cautions. He just didn't have some convictions about ministry. It seemed like as he was leaving, there were some things that he warned the church at Ephesus about, and I think it would be appropriate to warn us about it as well. He says, firstly, to guard yourselves. To guard yourselves and God's people, but I think the priority comes first in yourselves. Before you worry about others, before you take the speck out of someone else's eye, look at the log in your own eye, so guard yourselves. The ESV says it this way. It says, to pay careful attention to yourselves. This Greek word, it's actually a ship coming near to shore. I just want you to picture for a moment the way you tend to your soul, the way you tend to your inner life. Is that something that is like a ship that's far off the shore? I ignore it. It's way out there. My feelings of bitterness, my feelings of hurt, my feelings of confusion. I'm tired. Is it something that's far out there? Or have you paid careful attention to those things and like a ship coming towards the shore, docked at the shore, you paying attention in that way? C.S. Lewis, this is a powerful quote. He says, the true Christian nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. Oh my goodness, what a sentence. Who writes a sentence like that? The true, well, C.S. Lewis does. The true Christian nostril. What should, be, what should be the thing you smell most? And I think if we're being honest, what we smell most is the cesspool of others. Our nose is more sensitive to the sins of others than to the sins within. Pay careful attention to yourself. Church family, are you paying careful attention to yourself? Are you paying attention to the ways in which you're slowly drifting from God? Are you paying attention to the ways in which you're slowly drifting from community? Paying attention to the ways in which slowly but surely you're reading things and watching things and, and saying that's okay, it's not making that much of a difference. Pay attention. You pay attention to your impatience with others. Are, are you aware that you're frustrated with people often? <laughs> what does that say? Or are you just, is it? I mean, because some of us would say, does everyone else really need to change before you could have peace within? What a, what a way to live that we would be waiting on everyone else. Well, until my husband, until my wife, until my boyfriend, until my kids, pay careful attention. And, and where you can't understand even what's going on, reach out and say, I know something's off. I haven't been paying careful attention. I want to pay careful attention. Man, fill out a connection card. Call one of the pastors. Talk to your small group leader. We want to help. There is a team of men and women who want to help, but... We don't know. We don't know what you need. And, let you, and maybe you might say, I don't even know what I need. I just know I need something. Reach out. Find that pin link. Let us know. I need prayer for this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. The way I put it this way, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Here's the second thing. Second and third, I'll give it to you in once. So guard yourselves, he says. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church. 
Then he says, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Not going to spend too much time here, but it's something to be said. And so I want to say it this way. I want to take both of the points, point number two and point number three, in terms of Paul's cautions. It's going to be wolves from outside who are going to come in and then be careful that some from your own group are going to cause people to stray. Wolves is the term he used. We're not talking about physical wolves coming out of the woods into our church. Smart enough to know that. But what is a wolf as it relates to when we're talking about the church? And Tony Evans, in his commentary on this passage, he says this, protecting the flock sometimes means confronting wolves. People who don't have the best interests of others in mind, but only care to satisfy their own desires. They might be people who are not grounded in the scripture. Here's a little checklist. Maybe some of you write this down. Satisfy their own desires. They're not grounded in the scripture. Looking for attention or propagating false teaching, preying on people in the church who have genuine needs and are too trusting Be aware. Be aware of people who might come to our church in these coming days, who might find out that we're looking for another lead pastor and who might push an agenda. Be on guard. Be on guard of people who come in, guns blazing, talking big talk. Here's what we should do. Here's what I did at my last church. Be careful. Be aware. But don't just be aware of the wolves that might come from the outside. Beware of yourself. Spencer Romero, we love him. He said it this way. Every one of us could be a Judas. Every one of us could be a Judas. Every one of us could betray each other, could betray the faith. Every one of us could betray Jesus. We're capable of it. So be on guard. As I create a vacuum of leadership, watch your intentions and motivations as you step into whatever roles become available. Make sure that you are not doing things to satisfy your own desires. What do we pray? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just be aware. I know we don't like to talk about man, but what? But I think Paul has this warning to the church at Ephesus for a reason. And here's the kicker with the church at Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, in the letters to the seven churches, the letter to the church at Ephesus was the one where John writes, speaking on behalf of Jesus, come back to your first love. You're serving You're doing all the things, but you have left your first love. That was this church. Some of that could be because there's wolves who lead people away from the first love of Jesus Christ. And so be on guard. Be on guard. Watch yourself. Watch for wolves outside. Watch for wolves inside. Those were the cautions of Paul. Now, what was the proper conclusion? How did he end his time? You caught it probably when we read it the first time. Let's take a look. When he finally finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They prayed together. Corporate prayer. Come on, come on. Remember, remember. We don't want to just be a church that prays. We want to be a praying church. where Our church isn't just characterized by praying prayers to open a message and close a message, to open a meeting and close a meeting. Where we don't pray prayers because we pray for the work, we understand that prayer is the work. So they knelt and they prayed. 
And that's what we're going to do. And that's the main to do that I, I would actually give you from this message over the next two Mondays. Encourage you, join me. Two Monday nights. We haven't had an in-person prayer gathering in some time. We're going to have them right here, church office upstairs. We're going to stay socially distanced, mass. We're going to do all the things. But I, I, I'm not going to apologize for wanting to pray with my church family in person before I leave. And if, even if you don't want to do that, that's okay. But please, please don't have harsh feelings. Please don't judge us for wanting to do that. Let's not divide. Come on, let's not divide over the desire for us to have in-person prayer gatherings. We totally respect you if you don't feel comfortable coming. But we would hope that you respect the people who do feel comfortable coming. And I would just even say that as, as I know uh, plans are being talked about or even after our in-person gatherings uh, for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday that we're going to be moving towards in-person gatherings and very likely outdoors. But can I just say pastorally, let's not divide over this. Let's not divide over this. The world is dividing over stuff like this, not the church. What bonds us together isn't how we respond to COVID or what we think about COVID or what we feel comfortable doing in COVID. What binds us together is that we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And in a family, in your own family, people do things different. In your own family, people respond to COVID differently. In your own family, people are more comfortable with being next to one another and some aren't. Let's respect one another for that. Honor one another for that. Not superimpose political views. Not superimpose character traits on whether or not someone wants to gather to pray or gather to worship. Because the enemy wants to, to divide us through those things. Come on, somebody. Someone in those comments right now, say amen. If you're committed to not dividing over this, say amen. Not going to divide over this. And, and look, I'll say this if in person gathering, socially distanced, mass, all that stuff, like it violates the deepest part of your conscience, like you feel like, man, these people are, they don't love their neighbor or, or whatever, that's fine then maybe you would go to another church. And I'm not trying to get anyone out. I'm just saying, like, then, then go to a church who's committed to not meeting for a longer period of time. I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, like, the movement church, in the way that we're going to go about gathering in the future, might not be for everybody. And we want to be sensitive and gentle and all those things. Man, I, I hope you know, just so you know, there's so many churches gathering, not just all around the country, we know whatever, but in the Bay Area, there are many churches that are gathering in person and we are being as sensitive to and aware of and, and doing our best to navigate this. So just so you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of even late to the game as it relates to in-person gatherings. And so, um, man, I, I hate the fact that I need to spend the time saying this, but we've just seen the division in the church of Jesus Christ over things like this. So, for whoever does feel comfortable, tomorrow, 7 p.m., let's pray. And then, finally, Paspalooza, the 26th, getting together uh, just to celebrate, to honor, to remember. And once again, this is an in-person event. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm just not going. And, and we honor you for that. that that's fine. But I'm sorry, for, from the last time that I'm here, I would love to see some people in person, socially distanced, mass, whatever, and celebrate with, with my church family. And hopefully you could just respect that. And, and if you don't want to come to something like this, maybe, you, you know, we get together for a dinner off to the side, a Zoom meeting, whatever's comfortable for you. But I'm looking forward to this time. Palm Sundays, the send-off Sunday, like I said, Easter Sunday, these are in-person services. And folks, this is, this is it. And then Easter Sunday will be my last Sunday. And then the best days of the movement church will be ahead. The best days of the movement church will be ahead. Let me point you to Jesus as we close. Let me point you to Jesus. 
Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Paul had this desire, this conviction about finishing the work. Hopefully, hopefully, I can be a small example finishing the work that God assigned me to do here at the movement. As I reflect over these last couple weeks, and I got to just tell you, I've grieved. I think those first couple months of leading the church through all of this, it was like, okay, I just got to get the pieces in place to make sure. Last two weeks for me, church family, have been hard. Grieving. Leaving a church that I've invested my heart and soul into for these seven years. Handing it over to people I love and who I know are going to do great, but it killed me to not be a part of that membership meeting. But it was what needed to happen, but it hurts. I love you. I love you. And all I want is God's best for you. All I want for you is to see Jesus and worship Jesus and be amazed by Jesus. And I think for seven years, I could, I could lay my head down. I can get in that U-Haul and drive off, and I can say, I, I did that. I pointed you to Jesus. I know there was times I made it about myself, but I know there was more times I made it about him. I finished the work. But even better than me finishing the work, even better than Paul finishing the work, look at what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer. Just moments before he would go to the cross, he would say, I glorified you on earth. The last words that he has to his heavenly father before going to the cross, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It's great that I'm finishing my race here. It's great that Paul's finishing his race here. But the only reason why we have a race to run, come on somebody, is because Jesus finished his race. He went to the cross. He went all of the way, bearing all of your sin and all of your shame for all of the times you didn't say what needed to be said, for all of the times where you weren't generous, for all the times that you were a wolf. Jesus died for that. Jesus shed his blood for that. You are forgiven for that. Sexual immorality, you're forgiven for that. Pride, arrogance, ego, you're forgiven for that. Why? Because Jesus accomplished the work that God gave him to do. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's good news. It's good news that frees us from the guilt of not having Paul's convictions, of not following out Paul's caution. We're forgiven for all that stuff. Yes, we need to live out these things. It's biblical truths that we should live out, but even when we don't, the blood of Jesus Christ covers that, and I hope that's good news for you today. I hope as you turn off this computer screen, go on with the rest of your day, you have one more moment where you worship the Lord. You worship the Lord who, who did the best gospel goodbye ever when he descended into heaven. And he said, what? I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you. Yes, I'm leaving. Some of you are disappointed by that. Some of you are hurt by that. Some of you are mad by that. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm such a poor substitute for a God who will never leave you or forsake you. And I don't know what God's plans for me are in the future, but I do know that God will return for us. New heaven, new earth. We'll all be together. And it's going to be beautiful, worshiping in the presence of Almighty God, our King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. Can we look towards that day? Do you long for that day, Christian? You could be in the physical presence of God, giving Him your praise. And then we do that together. That's the end game. The end game is not just being forgiven for your sin. The end game, worship of God Almighty with brothers and sisters in Christ. I look forward to being there with you. I look forward to being there with you. Let's pray. Let's pray as we close. If you're with a group of people watching this message, your family, your spouse, just going to give you a few moments to pray a prayer out loud with your family. Whatever you feel led to pray, just pray. Let's pray. If you're all by yourself, you know, I'd encourage you. I know it might seem weird, but pray a prayer out loud to God now. Whatever you feel led to pray. Maybe that's something to do with saying what needs to be said. Maybe it has something to do with sharing the good news, with being generous, watching yourself and your life closely, whatever it is. Let's just spend some time. Just going to give a few moments of silence, and then I'll pray for us to close. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We love you. And I thank you for my church family. I can't see them right now. I can't see them, Lord, but I feel your presence amongst us. I feel your spirit, Lord, just bonding us together. I feel your spirit, Lord, giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I feel your spirit doing only what your spirit can do in our hearts right now, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're greater. Thank you that you're powerful. God, help us. Help us to say what needs to be said. Help us to value sharing the good news. Help us to be generous. Help us to watch ourselves. Help us to be aware of wolves that might come in and lead people astray, Lord. Help us, help us, help us. And when we fail, Lord, help us see Jesus. Help us see that He finished the work the ultimate work, living the perfect life that we could never live, dying the gruesome death, experiencing separation from you that we should have to experience, raising from the dead, Lord. Remind us of the gospel so that we could worship you and look forward to that day when we do it all together in person. No socially distanced necessary New heaven, new earth before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.